Welcome to the Happiness Playbook, a podcast that supports your happiness practice. I'm Laurie Florence, and I'll be your host of episode 125. I think it's about time I did a bit more of an introduction of myself. I'm a mom of five and a mumsy to three beautiful grandchildren and a couple of really cute dogs. I recently became a dog mom again, and my advice is if you're struggling to find joy in life, just drop everything and go get a puppy. If you've listened to more than two episodes of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about how much I love pickleball. For those of you out there who are too cool to do what's popular, stay that way so there's more time for me on the court. I like to grow edible things in my garden, and sometimes I succeed. I love hiking with my amazing hubby, McKay. He loves to plan big adventures, and I'm always glad to go along. I've written a couple of plays and aspire to write a book. My mom was born and raised in a little mining town called Eureka, with a population of 350 and a graduating class of about a dozen. Her small town vibes ran deep, and by nature, I'm reserved and prefer to not draw attention to myself, which is ironic for someone who coaches improv and theater and is the founding artistic director of Take Note Troupe and the creator of Play Theory. There's something that ties it all together, though, and I'll be talking about that in this episode. But before we get to that, We need a team huddle. Did anybody notice that I missed a week posting a podcast? No one came pounding on my door, so I figure it's going to be okay. Truth be told, last week was a doozy, and I finally could no longer handle my computer's keyboard's glitchiness. Have you ever tried to write without the letter Y? That gets old quick. I won't get into the details, but something had to give, and it was the podcast episode. I hope you'll forgive me, and more importantly, I hope you stayed strong in your happiness practice. For those of you that can remember two weeks ago, way back to the last episode's play of the week, did you do it? I heard from a few of you that when you played Shake It Off and mentally let go of whatever it was that was stressing you out, it felt good. I guess I took my own advice to heart and let go of doing the episode when it became too stressful. Sometimes we forget that we can do that. We can de-escalate. We can take a breath. We can shake it off. We can let it go. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how I came to be a director and an improv coach when I had zero motivation to do either. For the whole story, go back and listen to episode 89, How It All Began. But for our purposes, we're going to share the condensed version. In a nutshell, 20 years ago, my oldest daughter, Aurora, wanted to do theater, and she asked me to lead a group of friends in a Shakespeare play. I don't remember anyone saying, Laurie, why don't you be the director? I just started gathering what was needed and inviting others to come along for all the educational fun we were going to have. I had no idea how much fun I was in for It didn't take me long to lean in with enthusiasm to my new role of directing the next play the group decided to do. And after a little while, I was introduced to the foundational principle of improv. Say yes and. In play theory, we say accept and build, but they mean the same thing. This idea is why I'm still in the saddle leading 
TNT and expanding the reach of the play theory principles to others in my community. And according to the map on this podcast statistics page, a lot of other countries and places in the world too. What is so valuable about this principle, accept and build, or as an improviser, the idea of say yes and? Let me share a story. Here in NorCal, where I live, it's been raining a lot. More than usual is an understatement. And this has been challenging for my pickleball addiction. At one point, my pickleball buddy Sarah had managed to tape off a temporary indoor court at her place of business. The court barely fit, and we had to come up with some rules to deal with not hitting the overhead lights. Serving the ball was extra challenging because there was only one place you could stand to get a big enough backswing to send the ball over the net while still standing behind the service line. At first, this felt really awkward, but after a few serves, I adapted. And later, when I was back out on a real court with plenty of room, I realized that the previous limitation, which had forced me to create new ways of serving, had expanded my serving repertoire. This is an example of accepting a limitation or proverbial box and building on it. In an improv scene, saying yes and is essential. A beginning improviser will take this idea literally, and if their scene partner enters and says, let's go to the store, they'll reply with, yes, and I want to stop by the bank on the way home. That's all good and fine, but a more experienced improviser will recognize that replying with, you want to go to the store again? We just got back from the store, is another way of saying yes and. It helps to understand if you think about the difference between agreement and acceptance. I don't have to agree with you to accept that you have strong feelings about a topic. In the improv scene, the improviser doesn't have to go to the store to say yes to the idea that their scene partner wants to go to the store. In improv, that's what the idea of saying yes and is all about building on one another's offers. Here's another example. I walk out on stage holding an imaginary ice cream cone and say to my scene partner, I really don't like this flavor. My scene partner could reply in agreement with, yes, and I really don't like it either. That's literally saying yes and. They could also say something like, yeah, I remember how that was the only flavor they served at camp that year you got so sick. Which response builds more information and interest in the relationship and the story of the scene? The second one, because it gives a glimpse into past a a past summer shared, and we start to see the characters taking shape before our eyes in real time in the magical medium of improv. The expansion of the character's relationship and backstory required acceptance. Acceptance is the bedrock of building anything. If you're physically building a house, you have to start with the ground and get reports that it's settled and firm before you can pour cement or frame a structure. That's a form of acceptance. The ground 
has to be acceptable for the structure being built. It's the same in life. Acceptance is necessary before we can build anything. The Japanese have a word for this type of acceptance, and maybe we'll do our own episode on that word. It's called yukiyureru, or I don't know how to say it, but that's how I think you should say it. It means acceptance of our relationships and our families, in school, at work, and in our communities. It means accepting others. It means accepting our reality and moving past our limited perspective that only sees one facet of what's real. This ability to accept that others have varying perceptions from ours is essential if we want to have collaborative relationships with others. In improv, the idea of say yes and is really just a helpful script to get a scene going in the right direction. It could be paraphrased as say, I agree and, or you're right and. You see, it's not the words that matter. It's the idea of accepting the other person's offer or thoughts as valid, even if you don't agree with them. Just saying no to another person's thoughts that are outside of our thought box won't build a solution or a relationship. If we want to improve things, we have to start with acceptance of the boxes that people are in. Is there a script that we could use to get moving in the right direction when there's disagreement between people? My friend, Tony Overbay, a marriage family therapist and host of the Virtual Couch podcast, has laid out such a script that he calls the four pillars of a connected conversation. As I describe these four principles, I want you to listen for the part about acceptance. The first principle, assume the other's good intentions. The second principle, accept the other's perception as their truth. Third principle, ask questions before commenting. Fourth principle, don't go into victim mode. Hey, that first one, assume the other's good intentions, that is hard work, especially when we're having conversations about things that are important to us. I know I need to work on improving in this skill set. It really helps when I remember to accept some truths before entering a conversation. Truth, the vast majority of us are not out there to ruin my life. So if we can remember that truth, then we can accept that the other person is most likely coming at this conversation with good intentions. Of course, you should put safety first and don't accept a stranger's words for the sake of acceptance. But for the most part, you can assume the other person is not there hoping to see you lose or suffer. Okay, that second principle. Accept the other's perception as their truth. Accept what the other person is saying is what they believe is true. Of course, they may have gotten things wrong, and if you think about it, accepting that they're sincere in their perception is the place that you can start to build a clearer picture of what that reality may actually be. 
if you give them assurances that you're listening to their original opinion, they're much more likely to listen to any additions to it or corrections of it. Just saying things like, no, I didn't, or you're wrong, or that's not true, is only going to throw fuel on the fire of defensiveness. Acceptance is how you both come to recognize any common ground that you can both then build on. All right, our third pillar, ask questions before commenting. Wow, this one is really hard, but it's very helpful because sometimes disagreements, a lot of them are just uh, things that we're confused about or we don't have enough information. And with a little clarification, the, the confusion or disagreement goes away on its own. But we have to be careful how we do it. This one is hard to do without causing the other person to feel challenged. But if you can do it, it's a super valuable way to gain understanding and show that you're open to learning more about their perspective and experience. It can help others feel heard and validated, and that's a great place to build on. All right, the last one, don't go into victim mode. Why do we do this? And I speak from experience. I totally go there. Something that helps me and reminds me and models for me to not go there are little children. They are great role models. So when they're faced with something that challenges their truth, they're often so quick to just accept the new reality or accept that, oh, I was wrong about that, and then move forward. One way that you can see that you're setting up a residency in the land of victimhood is if you find yourself using emphatic absolutes like only or you always or you never always and never are way overused people are more flexible than we tend to give them credit for people seldom always do something or never do something so all right when we teach a play theory class we often end by asking for a scenario that demonstrates the play theory principle that was being taught uh, that uh, a scenario where that principle is not being used. Then we act it out, and after seeing how things don't go well when the principle is not being applied, then we'll rewind and do the same scene and apply that play theory principle. That's a way that we can end the class on a positive note. Now, since I'm a playwright, I thought we'd wrap up with a little scene I'll create that does the same thing. Here's our scene. A woman comes home to find her husband's running clothes on the laundry room floor. She approaches her husband when he walks in the door from work later that day and says, you always leave your clothes on the floor. You must think I'm your servant. He replies, no, I don't. And oh, you want to talk about being someone's servant? How about working 40 plus hours a week? until I'm too old to enjoy anything I really want to do in life. Her reply is heartbreaking. I knew it. You don't care about me. You only care about yourself. At least you have a career, and you can take days off and go out to lunch. I never get a break from these kids. All right, so how are we feeling? Connected? Are these two individuals building their relationship? Was there any acceptance going on? 
Now let's replay that scenario with more of the magic of acceptance. A woman comes home to find her husband's running clothes on the laundry room floor. She approaches her husband when he walks in the door from work later that day and says, I see you were able to get a run in. I found your clothes on the floor again. He replies, yeah, I did get a run in. It felt so good to get out after the stressful week at work. Did I forget to throw my clothes in the laundry basket? Her reply, yep, I took care of them for you. So it's been a rough week at work? He replies, yeah, I've been really stressed. Thank you for taking care of my clothes. You shouldn't have to do that. That's my bad. I know you have enough to manage with taking care of the kids. How did that scenario feel? Now, I know it can be tricky to remember all four of Tony's steps for, or four pillars for a connected conversation. So here's a shortcut to help until you've mastered those four. Use the script, say yes and. Here's that same scene again. A woman comes home from work to find her husband's running clothes on the floor. She approaches him when he walks in the door from work later that day and says, I see you were able to get a run in. I found your clothes on the floor again. His reply, yes, I did get a run in and I'm so sorry I forgot to put my clothes in the dirty clothes basket. She replies with, it's okay, I took care of them for you this time. Please make sure you put them away next time. Him, yes, I'll do that. Acceptance can be hard. There are some things that we really struggle to accept. For me, my mom's death when I was 21 was absolutely unacceptable, and I really struggled for years to accept her passing. After a lot of therapy and grieving, I've finally been able to accept her death and see some growth that has come from it. For one, I stopped taking for granted all that she did for me, and I came to really value her and others' service more than I had before. I have also developed resilience and empathy for others who have experienced a loss. Are there circumstances in your life that you can't accept? Maybe it's time to accept what is and build from there. Maybe it's not time, though. For years, I couldn't see a positive for my mom's untimely death because I hadn't accepted it. I was still angry and in denial. If there's anything like that in your life, then accept that you're still working on accepting it. Accepting what is is what allows you to build on what is there. So accepting that you can't accept something is a form of acceptance and will keep you moving in a positive direction. Acceptance is the bedrock of growth. Imagine trying to build a house on an open mine shaft or on a shifting sand dune. You'd be pouring concrete for a long time before you'd be able to make any progress. What are the parts of your life that you struggle to accept? How can identifying the positive part of that hard thing help you accept it? Here's the play of the week. I want you to use the four pillars of a connected conversation to strengthen a relationship in your life. Here are those four, four pillars one more time. First of all, accept or assume 
the other's good intentions. Second, accept the other person's perception as their truth. Whether they're right or not, they perceive it as true. Third, ask questions before commenting. And fourth, don't go into victim mode. All right, I'll list those again in our show notes. And remember, if all else fails, use the yes and. If you've experienced this transformative power of acceptance in your life, I want to hear about it. I hope you'll send a direct message to the Happiness Playbook on Instagram or leave a post on our Facebook Play Theory page. I want to say thank you to Bronwyn who shared a great story about how Play Theory helped her with her driving test. Check out our Instagram page for the whole story. A big thank you to everyone who shared the podcast or written a review. It helps me feel like we're all on the same team, which really makes me happy, which reminds me, keep practicing on your happiness game because happiness isn't something that happens to you. It's something that you make happen. And here at the Happiness Playbook, that's what we're all about, helping you improve your happiness game.